Selfish ambition is not, is not satisfied with promotion. You see here, the king had promoted him and he was next to the king. He should have been pretty, he should have been happy with that. But here was this Jew that wouldn't do it to bow to him. And it just, he just lost his, his joy because here this man wouldn't bow to him. And so he thinks, he think, gets, thinks of a plan. And, and that's the other thing that self-ambition does. It, it views others as a problem to dispose of. Pride will view others as a problem to dispose. Yes, will view others as a problem to dispose of. I have to get rid of this man. He doesn't bow to me. And you know, when I think of this and how foolish that was, he should have been satisfied with his promotion. What was it to have a one man not bow to him? What did, what difference did that make? But it made a difference to him. And this man. This man, Mordecai, he just couldn't, he just couldn't handle. And he said, life would be better for me if I could get rid of that man. And of course, we know how the queen made a dinner. I guess getting ahead of myself. He found out that Mordecai was a Jew. And it was against his belief to bow to someone else other than to God. And so, yeah, he don't need, just need to get rid of Mordecai. He gets, he needs to get rid of all these people, these Jewish people. And so he goes to the king and he makes a petition. He said, do you know there's people in your kingdom? And they, they have a different set of laws that they live by. They have a different set of rules that they go by. And they, they don't listen to your commands. And they're a threat to your kingdom. And if we could dispose of them, you would be much better off. And so the king gives him his ring and he signs a paper and Mordecai has it written up and that all the Jews are to be destroyed. <clears throat> And of course, the sign went out, the post went out, and the sign letter went out, and the Jews, there was mourning and great lamentation. There was sorrow. There was great sorrow. You see, this was, this was a, this was a great kingdom. Uh, I was trying to think which, which, uh, Countries, this all covered, but I, I, I'm not clear on that right now. Uh, but so he he sent this out, and the Jews were very sad. And Mordecai told Esther about this. She said he was at the gate mourning, and he had taken off his his robes and had put on sackcloth and ashes, and had ashes covered him, and. Esther wondered what was wrong with her cousin. And so she inquired and he said that there's a degree and that the Jews will all be destroyed. And he said, Mordecai said to her, he said, don't think that just because you're in the king's house, the king's course, 
being a Jew, that you will escape. But all of them will, but all of them will be slain. And so Esther, she made a dinner for the king. She made a request and she invited the king and Haman to a dinner. And she had something important to, to tell him. And so at the dinner, the king said to Esther, he said, what is your request? And I, and I will give it to you to the half of my kingdom. And she said, if, if I have found favor in your sight, then uh, come to a dinner tomorrow again. With Haman. And so the second day that they came, he said the same thing. What is your request? And then she said, uh, If I have found favor in your sight, if I please you and I've found favor in your sight, then give me my life and the life of my people. She said, For we are sold. To be slain and to be to be murdered. And she said, if we had been slain, uh, if we had been taken captive and sold as servants, I would have refrained my tongue. But she said, we are we are being sold. Not being sold, we are being brought to slaughter. Annihilated. And the king said, who would do something like that? And she said, the wicked Haman. And here Haman had, of course, gone home before this and had boasted about how that he was going to dinner with the king and the queen, just himself with them. And uh, he said to his wife and his friends, he said, but you know, there's one thing that's great, but there's one thing that just really I can't handle. And he said, that's that Haman that sits at the gate. I mean, Mordecai that sits at the gate and he won't bow to me. And his wife said, oh, that's not a problem. Have a gallows built. Get your servants to build a gallows and, and hang him on the gallows. And this sounded like a good plan. He could get rid of this man pretty quick. And then he could go to the... And then she said, then you can go to your dinner with the king and his queen and be merry. And so he went to the dinner. The gallows were built. <clears throat> and of course, at the dinner, the truth was made known. And Haman was very afraid. But before this, Haman, as Haman had boasted of his position of going to the to dinner with the king and the queen, uh, that is another thing that self-ambition will do. It will boast of its position. Oh, so-and-so is better than so-and-so. I can do this better than anyone else. Look what I'm doing. Self-ambition boasts of 
of its position. And the thing, the sad thing about self-ambition is this, that when he was boasting, he was blind to the real truth. He was blind to the truth of what was really happening. And, you know, that's how self-ambition is. It's blind to the truth. It, It is so full of self that it can't even see the truth. You know, when the king couldn't sleep that night and he got called for the book of the Chronicles of the Kings and he had them read to him. And he said, and it was read how that, that Mordecai had saved the king's life by warning some of his servants that there were several people that were plotting against him. And the king had this read to him that night and he woke up the next morning and he said, what has been done to this man, to Mordecai? Has he been rewarded for this? And the men said, no, he hasn't been rewarded for this. Nothing has been done for him. And the king said, well, something needs to be done to this man. And so someone knocked at his door, at the king's door and he told his servants, he said, go see who's at the door. And here was, here was Haman coming to ask the king permission to hang Mordecai. And the king said, tell him to come in. And then the king said to Haman, he said, what should be done to the man whom the king delights to honor? And Haman thought to himself, who would the king delight to honor other than me? I'm next to him in power. Who else would he delight to honor but me? And so he says, yeah. Uh, See, here again, we see he's blind to the truth. He said, uh, get the king's most trusted servant and get the king's clothing and clothe that man and put a crown on his head and get the king's horse and put this man on him and get his most trusted servant to lead him through the streets of city and shout, this is the man who the king delights to honor. And then the king said to Haman, he said, make haste and get Mordecai and do so to him. Oh, what what a letdown. What a letdown. For someone that had this much self-ambition, who loved himself so much, here was the man that he was plotting to hang. And the king says what he should do to him. You know, self-ambition ends in destruction. That's what it did. Self-ambition The points that I have, again, I want to bring. Self-ambition is not satisfied with promotion. Self-ambition views others as problems to dispose of. Self-ambition boasts of its position. Self-ambition is blind to the truth. And self-ambition ends in destruction. The other example I'd like to look at is found in... in, uh, 
Second Samuel. And, and you'll find it stretched between chapters 13 and 19. And, and I would like to read a little bit here. In 2 Samuel 13, verses 28 and 29. I apologize for not reading more Scripture. I, I uh, wanted to insert some more Scripture there out of the book of Esther. And I think I'm trying to cover too much for my time slot. Verse 29, 28 and 29. Now Absalom had command, commanded his servants, saying, Mark ye now when Ammon's heart is merry with wine. And when I say to you, smite Ammon, then kill him. Fear not, have not I commanded you, be courageous and be valiant. And the servants of Absalom did unto Ammon as Absalom had commanded. Then all the king's sons arose and every man got him upon his mule and fled. The setting here is where Amnon had forced his half-sister and laid with her and Absalom was furious about this. I think it would have been Absalom's full sister, if I'm not mistaken. And he was seeking revenge on Ammon. And so we see here that he, he took matters into his own hand. He, this was not a command of his father, David, who was king. This was something that he did on his own. He was angry. And so he took revenge on his brother. And then I'd like to read in 13, verse 34. But Absalom fled, and the young men that kept the watch lifted up their eyes and looked, and behold, there came much people by the way of the hillside behind him. So here we see that Absalom, his, in his self-ambition, in his, his desire To, for recognition and power. He takes matters into his own hand and he slays his brother. And then he also takes matters into his own hand and he tries to preserve himself. And, and you will always see that. Self-ambition will always try to preserve itself. And when, when, it is, when it is confronted, it will make excuses and say, well, you don't understand. It, this is how it went. If you would understand how it really was, then then you wouldn't blame me. Uh, Self-ambition preserves self. And then I'd like to turn to chapter 14 and read verses 23 and 24. So Joab arose and went to Gear, Geshur, and brought Absalom to Jerusalem. And the king said, let him, turn, let him turn to his own house, and let him not see my face. So Absalom returned to his own house, and saw not the king's face. 
This was where Absalom fled for his life. And he was gone for like three years, I think. And he wanted to come back. In fact, he had, he had this ambition to be the king someday. And <clears throat> so he talks to David's captain, Joab, and he said, can I come back? And so David talks, Joab talks to David about it, and he brings him back. And then David doesn't want to see him. Or he knows it isn't right for him to see him. And so David tells him, just go to your own house. And so Absalom goes to his own house. And Absalom kept talking to Joab about seeing the king. Can't I go and see my father? Can't I go and see the king? And Joab didn't pay too much attention to him. And so he calls him again and he says, can I go see my father? Can I go to my father's house? Can I go to, to his throne and talk to him? And Joab still doesn't do anything about it. And I think it was two years or something like that had passed since he came back to, to Jerusalem. And uh, finally Absalom says, I'll get his attention. And so he tells his servants, he said, go over there. He said, right over here is, is Joab's field of barley. He said, go, go light it. And so they lit his barley field. And right away, Joab says, who lit my barley field? And then he talks to, to Absalom about this. And Absalom said, he said, I, 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 I tried to tell you that I want to talk to my father. And you wouldn't listen. And I asked you again and you wouldn't listen. And he said, I had to do something to get your attention. In essence, that's what he was saying. And Absalom was seeking recognition from his father. But his father had shunned him because of what he had done, because he slew his brother. And then the scriptures say in chapter 15, verses 1 and 2. And it came to pass after this that Absalom prepared him horses, chariots and horses, and 50 men to run before him. And Absalom rose up early and stood beside the way of the gate. And it was so that when any man had a controversy, that any man that had a controversy came to the king for judgment, then Absalom called unto him and said, of what city art thou? And he said, thy servant is of one of the tribes of Israel. So here we see that he, he went to, the, he sat at the king's gate now. He had now a chance to, to uh, gain popularity with the people. He, he, was, he was setting himself up. He was seeking honor. And so he prepared him horses and chariots and men to run before him. I think it says 50 men to run before him. That's how self-ambition works. It tries to set itself up. It seeks recognition. And then if we read in verses 3 through 6 there, 
we see how he was trying to gain the hearts of the people. And I've been reading in verse, in chapter 15, verse 3, And Absalom said unto him, See, thy matters are good and right, but there is no man deputed of the king to hear thee. Absalom said, Moreover, Oh, that I was made judge in the land, that every man which had any suit or cause might come unto me, and I would do just him justice. And it was so that when any man came nigh to him to do him obeisance, he put forth his hand and took him and kissed him. And on this manner did Absalom to all Israel that came to the king for judgment. So Absalom stole the hearts of the men of Israel. And you see, the men would come and see, oh, this is the prince. This is the king's son. And they would bow down before him and he would take them by the hand and pick them up. And, and, you know, you don't have to bow before me. And he would kiss them and he would, he would say, we're on the same level. Or that's what he was saying with his, with his voice. I mean, with his, uh, his body gestures. He was saying, we are, we are brother. We are the same. I am just like you. And he won the hearts of the people. In fact, the Bible says he stole the hearts of the people. Now, who did he steal them from? His father. The hearts of the, the people were turned to, should have been turned to his father who was king. But he, he said, oh, my, my father's too busy. My father's too busy to hear you. He can't, he doesn't have time. And so he said, I just wish I were made a judge in Israel. And I would, I would listen to you people and I would hear your problems and I would give you answers. And you know, he, he, he pretended to be on the same level as they were on. Oh, that I would be made a judge in Israel. You know, self-ambition, self-ambition does whatever it takes to gain the favor of the people. And you know, I've seen that working in churches <clears throat> where several people banded together and they listened to the problems of other people. And pretty soon the, the group got a little bigger. And pretty soon it got a little bigger. Oh yeah, and, and we have problems in the church. And, and they start talking about their problems among themselves. And you know the preacher, they're not administrating right. And you know that other preacher, look at his children. Just look at his children. And, uh, well, look at their wives. Did you see what their wives are doing? And you know, you, you kind of gather a band like Absalom did. Oh, yeah, we know what you're talking about. Yeah, I can see that. And you know what I've discovered? <clears throat> What I have seen in some of those situations is this. That some of those people that begin a rebellion have some severe problems in their own life. And it causes them to be uneasy. And it causes them to be restless. And so the first thing that happens is that, oh, yeah, look, it's the preacher's. It's that brother in the church. It's that sister. 
Oh, that's the youth. Why, our youth are terrible. Do you hear what they're doing? And so they gain a following. And they steal the hearts of the people. You know, just recently, a brother told me, he said, of the one church where there was three ministers there and several of the brethren in the church silenced all three of the ministers. Uh, hmm. And I'm not saying that ministers are above reproach or that ministers' wives are above reproach or that ministers' children are above reproach or that any brother in the church is above reproach. But we all need each other. And we all need to love each other. We need love for each other. You know, when we have patience, pardon me, when we have patience with each other, it goes a long way. I used to say there's six ministers in our church right now. Lloyd is no longer there. He's in State College. But I appreciated Lloyd. And and you know, I, I could look at all six of those ministers, including myself, and find some fault with them. And I have already. I, I've seen where they all could change some things, or I thought they could. And and I decided that I should start looking for some good in them. And so I did. You know what happened? I found some good in every one of them. I found things to compliment every one of them on. Now, if I know that there are things that they are doing that is that are right and good and commendable, then I should commend them, shouldn't I? Yes, I should. So I've tried to make it a habit of commending them for the things that they do well. You know, I can say this. That my appreciation for them, for every one of them, has grown. Because I've exercised appreciation toward them. And I'm glad for every one of them. Because they've, pardon me, because they have helped me grow. They have helped me in life. And whenever I look at myself and I and I see was this self ambition that was finding fault or what was it or is there a godly ambition 
The story goes on with <clears throat> Absalom. And we know how that he, he gained the favor of the people. And he swung the people to where most of Israel and Judah wanted to follow him. And so there was a revolt against King David. And David fled for his life. And Absalom set up to be king. His ambition was finally fulfilled, a part of it. And then the people said, but we have to get rid of David. We have to get rid of David. If Absalom is going to be king, we have to get rid of David. And they sent an army after him. <clears throat> and we know how it went. How that they... they joined battle and and the David's warriors slew many of the ones of of uh, Absalom's warriors and Absalom himself we know how he it happened he got hung by his hair in a tree and someone came and told Joab and Joab was it appears to me as though Joab was a, a little, a rough man. He was a man that wasn't going to take any excuses. And uh, David had told the men, his soldiers, before the, the war began. He said, he said, watch out for my son Absalom. And he said, I'm not sure how he worded something, be gentle with him. Uh, and so the people were afraid. They saw him hanging there, but they were afraid to, to kill him because of what David had said. And when they told Joab that, Joab was right straight on the way. And it says, the scriptures say that he took three darts and thrust them through his heart. And then he commanded a few other of his, of his troops to, to finish him off. And so we see the end of Absalom who sought recognition. Uh, he took matters into his own hand. He sought to preserve himself. He sought to set himself up. And, and he sought the favor of the people. That was a high priority for him. He sought the favor of the people and he won the favor of the people. Or as the scripture says, he stole the favor of the people. <clears throat> and finally, he destroyed himself. He, was, he destroyed himself. And you know, I thought about that as I was studying. Why does the scripture mention that Absalom had such long hair? And he pulled himself, maybe, what was it, once a year? And his hair weighed so many shekels. I didn't look as to see what it really weighed, but it appears to me as though Absalom, the scriptures does say this about him. It says that he was a beautiful young man. And from the top of his head to the soles of his feet, there was not another man in Israel 
who was favored like he was. He was a beautiful young man. And you know, I think he, he kind of took that to himself. And I wonder if his hairstyling wasn't part of that exclusiveness. You know, it, it never mentions that the other people never cut their hair more than once a year. But he only cut his hair once a year. And then when he cut it, it, it weighed so and so much. Uh, you know, self-ambition wants to be exclusive. Self-ambition wants to exalt self. And self-ambition will always destroy itself. It will always destroy itself. There is no other way. Jesus said, the way to greatness is to be a servant. The way to be first is to be last of all. That was his whole ministry. That was his whole life. And I'm amazed at the plan of God. Several weeks ago in Christmas, I, I spoke about different things that, that God, that Jesus had to go through in his life to fulfill the Father's will. And how it seemed that there just had to be a better way to get this done. Couldn't God think of a better way to do this? From our perspective. But that was his way. It was. He came in humility. He came in poverty. Uh, His whole life was spent. In poverty. He, He would. The scriptures say that. He made his. Grave. With the rich. How does it say with the rich and the. What's the other word it says there. Okay, thank you. You see, he he was even identified with the wicked, but he was the son of God. Surely we can learn something from that. Surely I can learn something from that. That the way to greatness is servanthood. And the way up is to humble ourselves. And if we do that, if we do that, we can experience God's blessing in life and in death. May God give us grace to this end. Let us kneel in prayer.